Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking. So you may have noticed I have now cut out the original intro that we had on the show there. Uh, just kind of thought it was a bit long. I recorded it a while ago when I had a cold, so I've been meaning to re-record it for some time. Probably will record another interview, but for now we're just going to leave it as it is. A little short intro, bang straight into the events and, and whatever we're going to be talking about. So... I have kind of mixed feelings about intros, to be honest. Some some shows, I kind of feel like, oh my god, I've got to cycle through like three or four minutes of like advertisements and you know a lot of nonsense before I get into the good stuff. And then um, you know at the same time, other shows that just literally start right from the beginning when you press play. I often listen to podcasts when I'm getting into the car. So I kind of like get in, press play on the podcast, and then by the time I've kind of got my seatbelt on and sort of got off my driveway, uh, I'm, I'm off and running, and that's kind of the end of the intro of the show. So, you know, sometimes actually intros are quite good, and other times intros get a bit annoying. So I'm, I'm trying to get a balance there with that, but um, at the moment we're going to go with this short intro and uh, take it from there. The intro that I previously had uh, was a minute and a half, so the idea is that if you regularly listen to the show and you don't want to hear the intro every time, you can just skip to the minute and a half point. Or like I say, some people might like to listen to the intro because it gives you a bit of a time to uh, get yourself set up before you listen to the you know the important stuff. Anyway, not going to go on about that too much because there's some extremely uh, big news and you really don't want to miss what I'm going to talk about today uh, because this is some you know, monumental stuff. But just before we get into that, I just want to make a quick, a quick correction. Uh, I was talking in last week's episode about Graham Rendell's new book, Flying Saucer Fever. And uh, it came to my attention after having put the episode out that it's not available as an audio book. I think I mentioned in the episode that it was available as an audio book. Uh, it's actually available as an e-book, not an audio book. So I just wanted to make that really clear just in case anybody was hunting around for the audiobook and wasn't able to find it i do apologize for that it was a bit of a a uh, bit of a slip of the tongue um it's just my own uh, stupidity really because i thought an ebook and an audiobook was the same thing <laughs> but it turns out that it's not uh, an ebook is like you download a digital version of the book isn't it and an audiobook is literally you know somebody talking speaking the book so yeah a bit of confusion there but i just thought i'd clear that up so getting into the actual uh, specifics then of what has been happening. So basically the way it all turned out was this week I ended up, I was in the middle of putting together the notes for an episode uh, earlier on in the week on, on uh, Tuesday. And about halfway through getting all my notes together, um, somebody, I think it was Zorg on Twitter, shout out Zorg if you're listening, and uh, he tagged me in a post which uh, was relating to an article which had just come out in the New York Times. So the article, I thought, no, let me just click on this and see what this is, just in case it's something mildly interesting that I might be able to include in the recent events. Anyway, it turned out to be a little bit more than mildly interesting because essentially it was an announcement that Congress are going to hold public hearings this week 
on UFOs, which is an absolutely huge turn of events. So just a little bit of background on all that, and we're going to get right into that today, and it's a bit of a deep dive. I decided in the end that, you know what, there's not really anything going on that's as important as that, so let's just talk about that and, and do a bit of a deep dive about congressional hearings, how it works, the types of things they might discuss, the questions that may get asked, a few predictions, a few what-ifs and a little bit of speculation in there as well, because obviously this is quite a huge development. So a little bit of background first. Last week in an article uh, in Liberation Times by Chris Sharp, the sort of depth of feeling on this topic amongst many Congress people was laid out. And the article stated, quote, a Pentagon insider has told Liberation Times that Congress is extremely upset about the current situation regarding the DOD's stance on investigating unidentified aerial phenomena. The insider added that he would not be surprised if there were open hearings in the near future. And a spokesperson for Representative Tim Burchett also confirmed to Liberation Times that the congressman would prefer hearings sooner rather than later. So anyway, moving forward to present day, the New York Times reported on Tuesday the 10th of May which was the Tuesday when I was putting those notes together, as I mentioned earlier, that next week, Tuesday the 17th of May 2022, obviously this year, a subcommittee of the House Intelligence Committee will hear testimony next week from two Pentagon officials. And the article states, a House subcommittee is scheduled to hold next week the first open congressional hearing on unidentified aerial vehicles in more than half a century, with testimony from two top defence intelligence officials. And this is absolutely huge, because Congress has not held any open hearings on UFOs since the Air Force closed a public investigation known as Project Blue Book, which I've talked about many times on the show before, in early 1970. And this really is pretty huge news and, you know, massively vindicates Chris Sharp um, after his kind of recent dramas where people have accused him of false reporting and using anonymous sources that couldn't be trusted, etc. And despite, you know, some of the, the same people who were throwing that criticism around having themselves used anonymous sources, and the, the, the hypocrisy is real. And as I pointed out recently... Obviously, you do have to take an anonymous source with a bit of a pinch of salt, but it really comes down to the integrity of the person who has spoken to that source. And I stated that due to Chris's track record, uh, it, it, it's quite likely that the source could could be trusted. I mean, it's likely, it's also likely that the source could be wrong and things like that. But I think in, in that case, in the balance of probability, it's quite likely that, that the source was, was okay. Anyway, fast forward to the present date. And it turns out that Chris's sources were absolutely correct. And a previous article from Liberation Times, which came out slightly after my last week's episode, which I mentioned earlier, uh, was stating that various members of Congress were not happy with the progress made so far and they're expecting congressional hearings soon. Well, here they are. Huge pats on the back for everyone, really, who's who's pushed for this and the journalist who's reported on this, uh, despite the backlash that they may have received or been worried about receiving. And this is really happening. 
You know, and, and I would say that this further boosts the credibility of Lou Elizondo because I think a lot of people might have forgotten about the fact that Lou Elizondo was saying over the last couple of weeks that there's going to be something major happening very soon, which is going to be all over the main mainstream headlines. And I think this is what he was talking about. And also very importantly, Lou Elizondo has mentioned in a couple of interviews recently as well that he's going to be going back to to the um, Washington, D.C. this week. He said, uh, I'm going to be in D.C. again next week. Before any of this had been announced, Lou Elizondo already knew that it was coming and he's actually going to be actually in place. Well, I'm not sure exactly what involvement he's going to have, but he's going to be around. And, you know, you would think that he already has these links with a lot of these politicians who are pushing for transparency. Perhaps Lou Elizondo himself is going to play a part in the wording of some of these questions and inform the types of things that questions should be asked about. And if that is the case, obviously that's a very positive sign, but it's not exactly clear that that is going to be happening exactly like that. We'll sh- we shall definitely see. But the point is that the right questions still do need to be asked by Congress um, and, and then it comes down to then even if the right questions are asked it depends how those questions are answered and things like that so let's hope that you know progress does continue and this does seem to be a promising step in the right direction in terms of, of progress continuing but we shall see how it all unfolds now moving on to a little bit of a of discussion about what these hearings are actually hoping to achieve so the new york times article puts it like this The hearing, scheduled for next Tuesday, is intended to focus on the work of a group within the Pentagon that is following up on the national security and flight safety questions raised by the report. Now, the report they're talking about there is the UAP Task Force report, which came out last June the 25th, and that was actually round about the time that I did my first episode on the podcast, and that uh, classified version of that report came out recently over the last month or so heavily redacted and some questions as to whether it was the full actual classified report still exist as well but anyway the point is in that report even the unclassified version there were serious concerns about national security and flight safety even to commercial flights um, which is fairly obvious isn't it if there are things zipping about in the sky doing things we can't explain there's, there's always the chance there that these things are going to be a danger to you know civilian aircraft, military aircraft, especially when these, these objects that are zipping around that we can't explain seem to have a particular interest in military training uh, operations and also in nuclear facilities. You know, there's a serious concern there, you know, and we, we as the public need answers and Congress need answers. Um, Andre Carson, who was uh, instrumental in, in bringing these hearings together, said, quote, since this is an area of high public interest, any undue secrecy can serve as an obstacle to solving the mystery, or it could prevent us from finding solutions to pre- potential vulnerabilities. And uh, Andre Carson is the, uh, the Democrat representative of indiana and the chairman of the house intelligence's committee's subcommittee on counterterrorism counterintelligence and counterproliferation which is actually holding the hearing and he goes on to say quote this hearing is about examining steps the pentagon can take to reduce the stigma surrounding reporting by military pilots and by civilian pilots unquote and essentially what what's happening here is that Once the UAP task force had produced that report, 
things did start to get taken a little bit more seriously by various different members of Congress, by different various elected elected officials who started to push for more progress on this issue. And essentially that led to uh, the Gillibrand Amendment being included as part of the NDAA, which essentially requested the foundation of an office which would look into this issue and replace essentially the UAP task force and actually be a centralised hub for collecting data about this topic and and the actual requirements of that office also included a lot of transparency with the public, regular uh, briefings to Congress which have an unclassified portion and essentially a lot of things that were really really good which a lot of people who've been looking at this topic for a long time were very excited about now what actually happened was the dod announced the establishment of the aoimsg a group within the office of the usdins uh, which was basically their preemptive strike to say you don't need to found another office or another group to look into this we've already got it all covered they announced this right before the ndaa was about to go through which included this wording and the, the request and requirements about this new uap office which was originally set to be called astro that was the proposed name for it but obviously it never actually came to be because it was essentially preempted by the foundation of this group the the aoi msg which supposedly covered all the requirements requested of this new office which a lot of people discussed how ridiculous the name is and even you know went so far as to suggest that the the naming of it with such a bizarre acronym is intentionally designed to have an obscure name which is difficult to communicate about and even remember how to say it you know whereas astro definitely has a bit more of a ring to it and and a lot of people speculated that that was done intentionally and so on but one thing's for sure is it's pretty clear to see if you've been following this story that the foundation of the aoimsg was designed to basically subvert the progress of what was being suggested by the uh, astro office under the gillibrand amendment and however though the actual inclusion of the wording of the request for this astro office meant that the aoimsg had to claim that it was capable of fulfilling the requirements that were put through as part of the Gillibrand Amendment. But there are still a lot of questions that exist, uh, you know, as to whether or not the AOIMSG is fit for purpose and whether it's actually pulling its weight. And essentially the reason that these hearings have come about is because of that language that was included in the legislation that recently went through, was signed into law as part of the NDAA that I've spoke about, you know, many times on the show as it went along. And the wording in that legislation as it went through was that there's now a legal requirement for all aspects of the military intelligence services, all aspects of the US government essentially can be held accountable by Congress if they don't cooperate with the efforts to look into this topic, which has now been assigned to the AOIMSG office, as I said. Recently, there have been multiple reports, as I was talking about earlier, of congressmen and women who have complained about frustration on the lack of progress on this topic. And I'm just going to delve into that a little bit more because it's worth examining how the how we've got to this point. 
And as I said, as Chris was talking about Chris Sharp in, in, in Liberation Times, Congress is definitely upset about the lack of progress. And quite rightly so, as I mentioned earlier, if we now know that it's being taken very seriously that there are objects flying around that we don't understand and it is potentially a, an issue of national security and flight safety risk, I think everybody should be asking the question as to why is more not being done about this? It sounds pretty serious. I mean, we don't actually know what these things are, but they're doing things that we don't have the technology to do. So surely we want to find out and put the best tools and the best people who are qualified to look into this get the wheels in motion as quick as possible and find out what's going on and it does seem that there's an unwillingness to engage with it and that's why this frustration exists so here's a few quotes from some of the frustrated people who have actually pushed for this to happen so speaking to political one aid of Kirsten Gillibrand, who sits on the Senate's Armed Services and Intelligence Committees, stated, quote, Senator Gillibrand believes that the DOD needs to take this issue much more seriously and, and get in motion. They have had ample time to implement these important provisions and they need to show us that they are prepared to address this issue in the long term, unquote. And also another senator who's been quite active on this topic marco rubio who's also the vice chair of the senate intelligence committee it was said to be definitely frustrated and one of his aides was quoted as saying quote they are not moving fast enough not doing enough not sharing enough unquote and we can go on and on with the various people who've expressed you know frustration and, and dissatisfaction at the, the the answers that we're getting somebody who's been particularly outspoken is tim birchip another elected official who has been commenting on this for quite a long time now actually but recently has, has really not held back and he has said actually that he's seen some things in the classified briefings that have led him to believe that we don't have control of our own airspace he seems to think that there's a a, a significant cover-up going on being perpetrated by the same people who are asking for the answers so obviously they're not going to be forthcoming with those answers and he's saying that there's been a cover-up going on since roswell and it's, it's really quite remarkable if you think about it the amount of politicians who are now engaging with this topic a lot of them, having seen the classified data in these briefings, it's really quite interesting the the depth of you know involvement and how how hard these people are actually pushing for answers. When you consider that they've seen the classified information in these briefings and things as well, it, it really does point towards you know there's there's a lot going on here and actual wheels are in motion we may actually start to see some proper answers and some proper transparency we'll see how it all goes but anyway now we know about where this frustration is coming from and how it all came about let's get into what's actually going to be likely to happen in these hearings so one thing we do have to be quite cautious about, I think, is not getting too carried away. Obviously, this is absolutely historic. You know, it's the first UFO-related hearings in over 50 years, which is a huge, you know, accomplishment and step forward for this topic. But as I said, we should still be quite cautious because what this will not represent is, okay, you got us, we'll hold our hands up, we'll spill the beans and we're going to tell you everything. So if you're expecting something like that to happen next Tuesday, you might want to reconsider 
you know your expectations a little bit because it's almost certainly not going to be uh, the case now we'll go into the reasons why in a minute but this is in my opinion really just a beginning of congress using their newly acquired powers under law to be able to hold accountable those who do not cooperate with these new efforts of the new you know group that are looking into this and i believe the way that it works is that each member of the congressional committee has an allocated amount of time to ask questions of these individuals who've been brought before the members of this subcommittee of the house intelligence committee and again we do have to remember that we're not talking about the entire congress here we're talking about a small group who are a member of this subcommittee uh, of a committee so it's a small portion of people because obviously there are hundreds of actual members of congress this is a handful of people who are who are part of this subcommittee which is a subcommittee of the house intelligence committee but yeah that said in this case the actual two individuals who have been brought before this subcommittee are Ronald Moultrie, the Undersecretary of Defence for Intelligence and Security, and Scott Bray, the De Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence. Now, among Moultrie's various responsibilities, if we start with him, um, among his responsibilities actually is oversight of the AOIMSG that I was talking about earlier, which will inevitably be a you know, big part of what's going to be talked about in this hearing and the other gentleman involved scott bray it's worth mentioning that he's actually also the director of naval activity and he approved the creation of the security classification guide for uap which was prepared uh, back in april 2020 i believe by the office of naval intelligence now a lot of people have said that that classification guide is is overly you know not transparent it's overly strict in terms of what should be classified and what should be redacted as part of you know documents that come out to the public and things like that so when you bear in mind here that we're talking about two people who have actively played a role in keeping this issue hidden behind the scenes and and really actually go even further into obfuscating what's going on with this topic a lot of people have suggested that, oh, well, you know, we're not going to hear anything from, anything from these two individuals anyway. But actually, if you think of it a slightly different way, yes, we're not talking about two people here who are eager to spill the beans. That's pretty clear. But think of it another way. If you wanted to ask questions of somebody, these are pretty good people to ask questions to. We're talking about here asking questions about why there is continued obfuscation about this you know why if it's an issue of national security and a flight safety risk why are we not making more progress on this so who better to ask those questions to than the actual people who are in charge essentially or have played a big part in keeping this issue under wraps i think it's actually will be quite interesting to see how these people who are supposedly heavily involved in keeping this issue buried you know who better to ask the questions to but then again what that comes down to is the types of questions that they actually get asked and you know how those questions get answered and I, I believe as well i have heard on the grapevine that the questions are actually provided to these two individuals prior to the hearing so it's not that the questions get sprung on them um 
I don't know if I, I'm to be honest I'm not 100% sure whether or not the the members of this subcommittee can actually ask follow-up questions or whether they can only ask questions that have been sent you know in advance and well I, if anybody does know I would love to know that by the way so let, let me know if you do have any other information about that but what's for sure is that they do get prior warning of the questions that will be asked, at least some of them, and that would enable them to be able to carefully word their responses. But the thing is, even with that situation where they they knew what questions they were going to get asked, so they have more wiggle room in terms of like wording things carefully and not giving anything away, uh, you know, even within that framework it's still going to be interesting to analyze what kind of wording they use and how they actually talk about certain things. So I think it's going to be interesting whatever happens there. And, you know, kind of uh, related to that, there's also a statement put out by Susan Goff, the DOD spokesperson who provided the following quote, uh, quote, the department is committed to being transparent with Congress and the American people on the subject of UAP. We look forward to the upcoming opportunity to engage Congress to facilitate their oversight on this important matter. Mr Moultrie and Mr Bray are being briefed by personnel who have knowledge and expertise in the areas that Congress asked the department to address in the hearing. We are not going to comment on the details, unquote. And what I found mild, mildly encouraging there, mildly, bear in mind, but still slightly encouraging nonetheless, is the use of the phrase important matter, which is, again, you know, this isn't going to be a random choice of words. It'll be very, very carefully selected as part of a, you know, a, a kind of a, you know, a line that is going to be presented by any officials who, who, who give information, which is going to get out to the public. And it's a pre-planned set of language that anyone who deals with the public and makes statements will have to you know, they'll be told to use. And we know that this absolutely happens in all areas of politics as a way of ensuring consistent messaging coming from the government and going out to the public. And what I found really interesting was that the Pentagon Press Secretary, John Kirby, also used the exact same language yesterday when asked about the upcoming hearing on Tuesday. And he said, quote, we are looking forward to the upcoming opportunity here to engage members of Congress on this very important matter. We are absolutely committed to being as transparent as we can with the American people and with members of Congress about uh, 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 our perspectives on this, unquote. Um, so as you can see there, I, I, there was a few errs in there and very carefully thinking about how he worded that particular you know bit at the end of the quote there. But the bit before that was a carbon copy of what Susan Goff said. So it's very clear that they have decided to refer to it as an important matter. Now that could mean a few things. It could mean that they're now admitting that this is a lot more important or it could just be that they want to be seen to be taking this seriously and that they're actually going to try and wiggle out of it some other way down the line. But again, I thought it was very interesting that there, what we can take from that is that the messaging coming from Susan Goff, DOD spokesperson, and also John Kirby, the Pentagon press secretary, they're both using the exact same language and referring to this as an important matter 
and that they're looking forward to this opportunity to engage members of Congress and that they're committed to being as transparent as they can. So all three of those points that I just said there were mentioned in both of those quotes. So it's clear that there's there's pre-planned language going into this and you can analyse why that language has been included and the specific choice of words till the cows come home, but there it is. And he also goes on then, John Kirby, to talk about um, a commitment to having a better process for identifying these phenomena, analysing the information in a more proactive and coordinated way than it's been done in the past. And he also goes on to mention, actually, which was significant, I thought, about possible safety to flight and the fact that there may be national security implications as these things are being cited over training ranges. All of that kind of talk suggests that, at the very least, that they want to give the impression that they're trying to be transparent and take this topic seriously and considering it an important matter. And that, even if they're just trying to give the impression of that, that's got to be a, a step in the right direction, surely. The similarity in language there is, is obviously part of a coordinated message, you know, and, and they want to make sure that the messaging is very consistent, that gets put out to the American public. And again, you know, that's understandable because, you know, it, it is a very sensitive topic. But what that confirms is they they consider this to be a very sensitive topic. And again, the reasons why that is sensitive, a lot of different reasons that that could be and so on. But it's very clear there that they they want to give the impression that they're taking this very, very seriously, that they actually now accept openly, they're being open with the public, that they accept that this is a national security issue and it poses a risk to safety of flights and that they're trying to be more transparent. Proof's going to be in the pudding though, isn't it, as to whether they actually uh, really do work actively towards being more transparent. But, you know, we shall see how all of that pans out. But I thought that was an interesting uh, similarity in the the way that the those statements were worded now then moving on from that representative andre carson who as i said has been instrumental in putting this hearing together actually gave another statement as well reflecting on the the lack of of congressional hearings historically and he said quote congress hasn't held a public hearing on unidentified aerial phenomena in over 50 years that will change next week when I lead a hearing in the House Intel on this topic and the national security risk it poses. Americans need to know more about these unexplained occurrences. So again, pretty pretty straight to the point there that this is a real historic moment. It's the first time this has happened in over 50 years and the American public need to know more about what all this is, what, what's going on here. Representative Adam Schiff, who is the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, also provided a, a statement as well, which was to do with the state, the actual purpose of these uh, hearings. And he, he said, quote, the purpose of this hearing is to give the public an opportunity to hear directly from subject matter experts and leaders in the intelligence community on one of the greatest mysteries of our time and to break the cycle of, of excessive secrecy and speculation with truth and transparency, unquote, which is extremely promising. All of these kind of statements, they're not saying, oh, we'll look into it, we'll see if there's anything going on. It's very direct. People are actually starting to really grab this with both hands and pursue it. And 
Schiff also went on to say in a tweet, quote, there is much to learn about unidentified aerial phenomena, but one thing is sure, the American people deserve full transparency. Next week, House Intel will give the public a chance to hear from experts on one of the greatest mysteries of our time, unquote. So again, it's the, the greatest mysteries of our time aspect. House Intel, by the way, I, I believe is the Twitter account of the House Intelligence Committee, uh, just in case yeah, anybody was wondering. That was mentioned a couple of times in those quotes. Anyway, so moving on from that, apparently there will also be a closed classified aspect as well um, of the, of the uh, hearing, which will follow the open public hearing. So obviously I would love to be a fly on the wall for that, but unfortunately I'm not a fly and I definitely won't be on the wall. Um, but I know some people uh, complain a little bit about classified hearings, etc. But think of it another way. This kind of occurred to me when I was doing the notes for this episode. We want those people in Congress to be shown classified data and videos in briefings and then to be able to ask about classified systems and where information has come from and things like that in hearings it may well be the classified data that has convinced these congress people to pursue this like obviously the things that were in the the classified uh uap task force report that we have not seen because as now it's been released in heavily redacted form and there were entire pages blacked out now bearing in mind People who have actually seen these classified reports have seen what's behind those redactions and they've seen all of the information, including diagrams, pictures, potentially videos as well. And I think it's actually a good thing that they're being shown. Now, would I like to see them? Of course I would. But there, there might actually be very good reasons as to why they can't show those to the public. I, I also think there might be aspects of those that have been overly redacted which is probably unnecessary but as i said before i think often with these things the 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 sort of um the overclassify rather than underclassify and then down the line appeals can actually remove some of the other redactions as time goes along but they're going to play on the safe side aren't they really when it comes to anything that may give away even the slightest hint of what advanced capabilities are in, in operation by the military they're not going to want adversaries to be able to uh, find out anything at all so i do understand that some things do have to be classified and the fact that these classified um you know pieces of data classified information is actually being shown to members of congress yeah it's frustrating but i'm glad they're being shown it because as i said a lot of these elected officials now who are really grabbing this issue with two hands and pursuing it are doing so in part or in large part perhaps because they've seen the contents of these classified briefings so in a way it's frustrating that we're not going to see what goes on there but in another way, I'm glad they are actually happening because it means that, you know, the people who should be seeing the really important stuff are actually seeing it. And as we've said, you know, earlier on, Tim Burchett, who has seen some of this classified data, he has said that some of the things that he has seen that he can't talk about is extremely compelling. And many other people have said similar things who have been in attendance of these briefings so if you look at it that way it's actually a good thing that there is a classified aspect to this because it will be enable the people who really need to see it who are asking these questions on the public's behalf to see you know really uh, compelling stuff and in this hearing it's not going to be a case of 
getting access to data necessarily but they may be able to ask questions that relate to say classified systems and the people who are who are, who are actually being asked those questions the two individuals i mentioned earlier they're going to be able to give more detailed answers in that classified setting so it's not a bad thing in all aspects now another thing that was really interesting about all of this is um an article published by Tom Rogan in the Washington Examiner. Now, this kind of brings us nicely on to, you know, we've talked a little bit about how these hearings came to be. We've talked a little bit about the people involved in these hearings and how the hearings are going to play out. And now we can talk a little bit about the types of questions that, first of all, need to be asked and are likely to be asked. And it will be interesting to reflect on this next week after we've heard the contents of what gets talked about in the hearings and actually be able to compare what our expectations are and you know how it actually plays out. But this article, uh, published on May the 10th, um, 2022, obviously, by Tom Rogan in the Washington Examiner, talks about the fact that these hearings uh, are upcoming and speculates a bit about the best, best questions that should be asked. So we'll go through these because I thought it was a, a really, really interesting article. And I, I really think that, um, you know, it, it's worth you reading this in full. So go to, if you just type in um, Tom Rogan, Washington Examiner, UFOs, you, um, I would imagine that you're going to find it. But the article is actually titled, UFOs Go to Congress, Five Questions That Need Answering. So if you can remember that, you can just Google it. And I would advise, it's a relatively short article, very to the point. And I really think it's worth um, reading if you're interested in what I'm talking about here. Now, Tom Rogan is a well-connected, credible journalist. And in this article... He's talking about these five questions that he thinks need to be asked. And he also details some very interesting information, which he's heard apparently from some inside sources, well-placed inside sources. Now, as I've been talking about, some people hate inside sources. But I've also talked about recently, they form an important part of the bigger picture. You know, because sometimes you can hear things from sources who have to remain anonymous for various reasons that you wouldn't have been able to hear at that stage until, you know, proper processes are completed and so on. As we know, within governments and intelligence services and the military and all the rest of it, there is a lot of red tape, you know, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of hurdles you have to jump through before you can officially say something and we went through all this with the the firing of gary reed you know they couldn't confirm the press office couldn't confirm that he'd been fired or removed from his position because they weren't in a position legally to be able to do that at that point but we heard information coming from inside sources who had to remain anonymous for that reason that these things had happened anyway they turned out to be you know verified a few days or a week or so later so, as I said, there's been some pretty huge bombshells recently from Chris Sharp in Liberation Times, which came from these inside sources. And similarly, Tim McMillan has had multiple similar situations, both with the UAP issue and also the war in Ukraine as well. He's reported that, you know, brand new breaking news information coming from a well-placed source got hammered for it online you know sea of uh, tidal wave of criticism and then within a few days he's been vindicated and and i'll reiterate here what i think we need to think about when it comes to anonymous sources is it comes down to the credibility of the person doing the reporting 
So if you can vouch for a person, if they've got a good track record, obviously that's going to lend a bit of credibility to the actual anonymous source. So back to the Rogan article. The five questions are, number one, will you commit that the Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group is granted access to all classified programs and contracts as its officers request? So an excellent question, and I hope that that does get asked. And again, this goes back to a reason that it's actually quite good that these two people involved in the, the, this particular hearing, um, Moultrie in particular, who's got oversight of the AOIMSG, he's actually very well placed to be able to answer certain questions like this. So just because he's not been forthcoming with you know information about this topic in the past... You know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean he's not going to be able to answer any questions with anything that's interesting for us because he's actually in charge of oversight of that office or that, that group, should I say. So um, that question would be a good question to ask him. And it, yeah, it's a bit of a tough question, but I hope it gets asked. And, you know, Tom Rogan goes on to say, quote, a critical element of, of this effectiveness will be determined by AOIMSG's ability to access highly classified sensitive compartmented information and special access programs that bear relevance to the UFO subject. This must include efficient access to classified contractor programs outside of the day-to-day -day supervision of the US government. If Moultrie and Bray cannot commit to this access, Congress will know it must take further legislative action in that pursuit, unquote. And that is a very important paragraph, in my opinion, because it's long been rumoured that there are these kind of, you know, secret special access programmes that are even perhaps some of those may be outside of the normal oversight of the US government. And what should be asked there of these two individuals, Moultrie and Bray, is that is it correct that the AOIMSG has access to what is contained within these programs? And if not, we need to do more to actually make sure that the AOIMSG does have that access. And if they can't commit to perhaps anything about that, that in itself is going to throw up some more questions that should be asked. Second question, does the Department of the Air Force retain data indicative of UAPs operating in space or Earth orbit? Will you commit to better collating such data? Another excellent question. And this refers to, there's apparently a treaty that was signed in 1971 um, between the United States and the Soviet Union which apparently is, is uh, referenced a lot in, in Space Force sort of guidance. And it actually includes specific requirements that both the US and Russia report the detection of any unidentifieds entering the Earth's, object, uh, the Earth's orbit. And the reason for that is just to avoid any kind of misidentifications and you know avoid any um, risk of something being perceived as a nuclear attack because obviously if you see something coming in uh, from outside of, of the earth's atmosphere there's always the potential it could could be some kind of uh, you know nuclear strike or something and there's always that risk of, a, of an accidental retaliation which obviously would be terrible so there are things in place there to actually ensure that cooperation and you know 
is that data being accessed as part of what the AOIMSG is looking at? Now, this was really interesting. Apparently, two sources, I just, I'll quote this from the article actually, quote, two sources have told me that one challenge with UFOs in space is that they tend to be detected in short windows of infrared spikes at exceptionally high speeds and then disappear, unquote. So again, bearing in mind, this is coming from sources, but apparently two sources, and they've told the author of this article, Tom Rogan, that a challenge that, that exists with UFOs in space is that it's very, very short windows at exceptionally high speeds and then they disappear. So if that is the case, that is absolutely fascinating. We're talking about sources here who apparently are in, in a position to know this, that UFOs are not only being detected in space, but they've, they've managed to figure out certain characteristics, like there's infrared spikes, they're going at high speeds and disappearing. Absolutely fascinating. And if there's any kind of you know, indication of whether or not that's correct, that, that's included in any of these answers, that's going to be very interesting to hear. Third question, is there a correlation between recordings of UFOs and US nuclear assets? Now, obviously, we pretty much know already that there is a correlation between UFOs and you know nuclear facilities, nuclear assets in general. Um, but it would be very interesting to actually hear this from you know the horse's mouth, hear it confirmed in this hearing. And in the article there, it goes on to say um, that numerous more than five active and former government and military sources tell me that ufos pay close overt attention to nuclear aircraft carriers and ballistic missile submarines so again this is more than five people here apparently in a position to know have confirmed that to tom rogan which is I mean, I can't imagine that five separate sources would be completely wrong on that. And it's very interesting to hear that the, the, the UFOs pay close, overt attention to, to nuclear aircraft carriers and, and ballistic missile submarines. Very, very interesting. And uh, it also goes on to say, quote, if we take these reports as credible, we should want to find out how UFOs can so easily detect nuclear forces, unquote. And that reminded me actually of something that Tim McMillan talked about a while ago with anti-neutrinos. And uh, Tim McMillan had referred to this in the context of UFO baiting um, in terms of you may be able to detect something like a nuclear submarine, for example, by anti-neutrinos which are given off. And what this made me think is perhaps actually what Tim McMillan may have heard from one of his sources there, because as we know, Tim McMillan has a lot of sources of his own. It may be that actually the UFOs themselves are actually using anti-neutrinos as a means to detect our nuclear facilities. That could be what he was getting at there. I don't think Tim McMillan actually knows exactly what the link is with anti-neutrinos. He said that himself, and he said that he was just basically throwing the anti-neutrino thing out there for other people to look into. I've looked into it quite a bit and not been able to find much of a connection. When I spoke to Ross Coltart on the show, I was asking him about anti-neutrinos. Ross hadn't really heard much about anti-neutrinos in terms of UFO baiting, but... This did make me think that 
maybe that's what it is maybe that's where the anti-neutrino connection comes in perhaps it's ufos themselves that are actually using anti-neutrinos to detect human nuclear assets maybe there's another link i don't know that's a bit speculative but i just thought i'd throw that in there question number four do your intelligence analysts have any leading theories as to how ufos operate is gravity manipulation one theory under consideration so again very very interesting question and I, and I hope that gets asked i really hope that all of these questions get asked to be honest and i hope it's not just a case of you know are the ufos do things get detected you know like really obvious questions by this point we pretty much you know well we do know that these things do exist things exist that are doing things that we can't explain so we already know that these questions what i really like about them is it's really drilling into the stuff that we really want to know and i hope these are the types of questions that do get asked and as i say bearing in mind lou elizondo is going to be around behind the scenes i hope that he does manage to get some of these kinds of things into the right hands and and you know inform a little bit of the the questions that do get put to these uh, individuals so the article says, quote, this may sound like a crazy question to ask, but the officials can't, without lying, deny that this theory is under consideration, unquote. So that's a good point. It might not be as simple as they say, again, you know, throw our hands up, uh, you know, you've got us, all right, we've got a craft that uses, you know, gravity drive or whatever. That's not what it's going to be a case of. But if the officials do get asked this, they can't deny that that theory is being considered as one of the options and that then does even just the fact that they're considering that these ufos use some kind of gravity manipulation technology if they're considering that that is basically an admission that these things are being considered as vehicles rather than just some kind of atmospheric anomaly or something of that nature so that would be a great question, and, and how it gets answered would be very revealing. So final question, number five. Will you pledge to release reports on the study of exotic material related to UFOs? And again, quoting from the article here, it says, the Army, for example, has a cooperative research agreement involving metamaterials reportedly recovered from UFO debris. The agreement was signed with Tudor Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences, a research-turned-entertainment uh, group formed by Tom DeLonge, unquote. So, as we know, there is this particular agreement already in place with uh, TTSA and the US Army, which is a cooperative agreement, basically, to for the TTSA to actually provide these materials that they have access to for the Army to study. And this study is called CRADA, and it actually um, runs up until October 2023. So, you know, perhaps Moultrie and Bray can shed a bit of light on that, give any updates. And at the end of the day, maybe even even if the question that gets asked to them is, is you know, responded to with some kind of nondescript answer, there may still be things in there that we can pick up on and, and analyse a little bit. So really, really interesting article. I thought there were some fantastic questions. And uh, yeah, like I say, hopefully some of that kind of thing gets asked. Now, Chris Mellon also made some really interesting statements regarding uh, that article, actually, and uh, a couple of other little bits as well. And he tweeted 
uh, an article, uh, sorry, uh, an endorsement of that article, which was, uh, quote, thoughtful and important questions raised by, uh, raised by Tom Rogan here. Uh, hope to see these come up on Tuesday, unquote. Couldn't agree more. And before that tweet, though, he'd also said, quote, one of the critical questions for the upcoming House UAP hearing is, do we have evidence of intelligently controlled unknowns in orbit or in space? Unquote. And again, these questions are all very direct, aren't they? And I just hope those kind of questions do get asked. Because, I mean, can you imagine just for a moment that that question gets asked? Okay, do we have evidence of intelligently controlled unknowns in orbit or in space? And can you imagine if the answer to that question was yes? What would the ramifications of that be? You know, that that would be literally the first time in human history that a US official or a government official of any country has said we have evidence of intelligently controlled unknowns in space. You know, and, and now, don't get me wrong, I don't think that that's necessarily going to be the case. I would imagine if a question like that gets answered, what they would say is, well, we need to do a lot more further study to verify whether or not there is anything, you know, blah, 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 blah. blah. But again, there still might be interesting nuggets to pick apart in, in the way that the questions get answered. But what if the answer is no? You know, you've got to think about that. Slightly less exciting option, but what if the answer to that is simply no? You know, it's worth considering. I mean, what would that mean? You know, the, the fact that it's in orbit or in space, maybe if the question was, do we have evidence of intelligently controlled craft in our atmosphere? Is that, you know, a different question? Could the answer be different there? And I think the main thing, though, throughout all this to try and conclude a little bit the main thing to sort of bear in mind is what i think some people are missing some people not everyone but some people are missing the nuance of what's going to happen with these hearings so as always with these kind of issues some people are saying oh we're just going to get you know somebody who's going to spill the beans and we're going to hear everything you know we're going to find out all the truth you know they're going to wheel out the bodies from roswell and show pictures of the you know the the secret u.s flying saucer that's been zipping around you know i don't think so and especially not based on the the people who are going to be answering the questions here it's really not likely that the beans are going to be spilled you know however some people think that this is going to be a total nothing burger, and uh, you know I don't I don't think it's going to be a complete nothing burger because even if nothing really gets revealed in the actual answers, it's still going to be a massively important moment. Now this is my point that think about this: if this is a nothing burger and all you get is nondescript answers, non-committal, that basically suggests obfuscation. And it will prompt many, many more questions. The people who have took this topic with both hands recently and have been able to access the classified briefings and that has ignited an interest and a concern, those people are going to be, you know, they really have a file it under them if, if all they get is nondescript answers that, that just refuse to really engage with the questions. If that is the case and it's a total nothing burger, these same questions are going to be asked to other people 
you know, other questions are going to be asked to these same people and more people are going to be brought in for questioning and that will be a good thing. And it will put us, you know, anyone who's interested in this topic in a place to actually get more answers to what's going on with this mystery and what exactly is known by a select few, um, you know, people about this topic. If there are compelling answers given and some really interesting information comes out through the answers to the questions that these people get asked, and maybe even a semi-confirmation of the existence of non-human tech, even a, a mere suggestion of that, that will lead to more questions, many more questions to get asked, more people to be brought in. So in my opinion, this is a bit of a win-win, to be quite honest. You know, if if we get nothing that's going to lead to more questions and probably more hearings. If we get even the slightest bit of good information, that's going to lead to more questions and more hearings. So I think whatever happens, this is a bit of a win-win and it's going to be very interesting to see what unfolds. Now, having said all that, there was also something quite interesting that I heard from uh, Bob Maguire, Science Bob Maguire. And I'm just going to play this little clip because I thought it was uh, worth adding on to the end after um, all the bits that we've just talked about. Are extraterrestrials coming out on Tuesday? I do not know the answer because I believe decisions have been made on how things will be rolled out. But it is very, very interesting to hear the stories I have heard about representatives on the House Intelligence Committee visiting with supporters, religious believers, people in their districts, and talking to them about the things that are about to be coming out. That's number one. And number two, the Skyfort has said, mission accomplished, we're closing the doors. So something is coming out. I, I, so I thought that was really interesting because I think there's a few other people who have... Um, who have mentioned about similar things to do with an actual effort, decisions having been made behind the scenes to actually pursue an effort to actually gradually roll out more information now. And again, I'm not exactly sure what I think of that, but it's worth mentioning here as something that is being discussed. Now, I think what Bob Maguire is trying to make out there is that some of these people on the on these... Um, you know, House Intelligence Committees have actually got an inkling that, or maybe even more than an inkling, that something is actually going to be revealed now and that there's a gradual, you know, not even that gradual, but there's a rollout in place and that they've actually been engaging with religious leaders and, and various other people to prepare the ground for what is to come. And I think what he's also suggesting there, obviously this is just my interpretation of what somebody else has said, so, you know, bear that in mind but i think what he's saying there as well is skyfort closing down which is probably worth mentioning actually as well the the group skyfort with lou elizondo sean cahill and, and a couple of others which i won't go into too much detail on for now but they announced that basically mission accomplished they've closed the doors they put out a statement saying that's the end of skyfort we achieved what we wanted to achieve and now it's time to move on I think what Bob is suggesting is that they also know that something more is going to be revealed, you know, and these hearings are actually a part of that. So, again, 
I would love all for all that to be the case, but I'm remaining kind of cautiously optimistic at this point in time, and we shall see exactly what gets revealed on Tuesday, and we'll know a lot more about exactly how things are going to progress once we see that. Right, now then, so all of that said, I mean, just just unbelievable. I thought, I'll be honest, when I first started doing this podcast, I never expected something like this to happen. I thought, I kind of, in the back of my mind, thought I would look into this topic and, you know, I'd probably eventually find out that it was a bit, you know, there's not much to it and then move on. But actually, no. The further I've got into this, because bear in mind, I've been doing this podcast for about a year, you know, at this point. When I first started it, it was kind of a, everyone's curious about UFOs. What if I just actually have a look into it and and really try and find out what's going on, you know? Because I I know that I'm not going to be taken in by sort of like fanciful theories and, and, you know, interesting stories. That's not what I'm bothered about. I really want to know what's actually going on with all this stuff. And I just thought, what if... I take the time to really look into this and figure out what, what's happening. As just an ordinary person, you know, like many ordinary people, I have an interest in it. What if I really dig in? In the back of my mind, as I say, kind of thought, there's probably not that much to it really, but it's cool to look into, so let's see. And the more I've looked into it, the more I've scratched beneath the surface. been doing it for a year now, become pretty obsessed with it. Um, well, to be fair, I've been doing it for a couple of years, but only had the podcast for about a year. The more I've looked into this, the more I realised there is to it. And I never thought that you would see this amount of elected officials talking about this so seriously. You know, congressional hearings on UFOs that hasn't happened for 50 years. You know, it's just unbelievable. And it really kind of hits home, like... I know I look at this topic all the time, but sometimes you sort of so zoomed in on the details that you forget to take a step back. But think about what we're actually talking about here. The, the possibility of life forms outside of this planet, hum, non-human intelligence existing and visiting us on this planet. I mean, it really is the stuff of science fiction and we're seeing it unfold before our very eyes. You know, if you think about, I remember hearing this quote from Lou Elizondo where he was saying, Hundreds of years ago, people used to stand on the shore and look out to sea, and it was just a big mystery what was over the edge of that sea. They had no idea what was out there. The mysterious creatures of the sea, like sharks and sea monsters and giant squid, they thought they were just like scary monsters. And then, obviously, what happens is humans expand the knowledge, they figure out how to cross over that sea and study what's underneath the sea, and then no longer is it some kind of mysterious mythological world. It just becomes reality. Is what we're seeing now humans on the precipice of accepting that we're not alone in the universe? That is such a huge thing. It'd be the, the most significant event in human history, arguably. And are we about to see the beginning of that? Have we already seen the beginning of it? And now we're just seeing an official acknowledgement? I think we're about to find out, people. Wow, what a week. What a week. It's been a bit of a roller coaster, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens on Tuesday. But anyway, just before we finish, I just wanted to give a couple of uh, little updates to the podcast. Um, I'll do this at the end because it's, it's a bit rambly to do at the beginning. So if you're still listening to this point, thank you very much for being a hardcore listener of the podcast. I always appreciate everybody who listens. 
And um, yeah, just another quick uh, request. I've had a few emails, really cool to hear from people uh, about the uh, tell me anything. So I want to do an episode where it's kind of like listeners getting in touch with their stories and their sightings or experiences and it can be anything you want literally just send a paragraph to my email and i'll read it out on a show at some point if i get enough good ones um or you know if if i get enough just in general it doesn't have to be a, a good one or a bad one or whatever just anybody who's got something to tell me to do with ufos it'd be really cool to hear it and um my email is uh, ufothinker at protonmail.com or hotmail.com and uh, Twitter at ufothinker. You can just send me a DM as well. And uh, it's always great to hear from people. I, I get emails all the time from people all over the world and it, it really blows me away. I mean, as I record this, I'm sat in my spare room staring at a wall, talking into a microphone. It's quite a lonely place to be sometimes, you know, um, but you know, when I hear from people, you know, in the States, in Australia, in Brazil, messaging me and emailing me saying that they listen to the show and that they really like it, especially when I hear from people saying that they weren't interested in this topic and they thought there was nothing to it, but they really seem to resonate with the the no BS approach that I take with this topic. Um, you know, it means the world. It really does. It's so great to uh, to hear that me talking about something that interests me, you know, people relate to that and and also find it interesting it's so cool and i do hope as well that i'll get to meet some more people in person when we do this mini con in manchester in uh, october which i'll be talking about a lot more as we go along but yeah anybody who's got a tell me anything story fire it across to the email i would love to hear from you and also um anyone who does support on patreon which is very much appreciated for all the patreon supporters and if you've not already sent me a question for the ask me anything which is exclusive for patreon supporters at this point um but anyone who is a patreon supporter you may have missed the post that i did on patreon so uh, if you did miss it i'm doing another ask me anything patreon exclusive so send me your questions about anything you want um, a few other things as well, uh, just that I've been up to recently. Uh, as I said earlier, there's no intro on the show at the moment. I'm probably going to redo the intro at some point. Uh, I need to redo a lot of things, to be honest, but it's just generally I spend so much time actually doing the research for the shows and, uh, you know, like figuring out questions to ask guests and so on. I have limited time, and the time goes into the research rather than you know making new artwork or new intros and stuff and i, I think that's the best way because really that's the meat and potatoes of the thing isn't it you know that's the the real interesting stuff uh, an intro is just an intro but having said that i do want to make a really cool new intro soon so i will do that i've also started to use a noise gate on my microphone for anybody who's uh, into the the audio side of things i don't know why i didn't do this before it used to really bug me when I listened back to the episodes and you'd hear little little bits of background noise sometimes uh, in between, you know, when there's a slight pause in my voice and, um, you know, things like me clearing my throat and you know, swallowing saliva and stuff like that. Um, so I've now got a noise gate. So when I leave those gaps like I just did there, it should be nice and dead silent. So hopefully that's an improvement. I really want to try and improve the show all the time. You know, I'm trying to get more in depth with my research. You know, I'm trying to really put effort in and make this as good as possible. And, um, I've got big plans, you know, I really do. And uh, eventually I would like to, to 
do more shows i mean at the moment i'm sort of limited to one a week because that's literally all i've got time for and sometimes it feels like i've not even got time for that um but there's there's plenty of uh, new and exciting things coming up i'm going to be doing a monthly round table with ash ellis from ufo identified and uh, we're going to bring in various other people as well that's going to be going out i think we're going to do one at the end of this month we're going to have a lot to talk about based on the things that have happened so far this month and so that's going to be coming up down the line. I would love to make a documentary. I've already got some ideas about that. And and eventually I'm going to start a YouTube channel because as you probably know, I'm only on Spotify at the moment. So it's literally just Spotify and Twitter. I don't have an Instagram, TikTok, any of that sort of stuff. Don't even have a YouTube channel. I think I do have a YouTube channel actually, but there's nothing on there. I just registered it. So I've got the name. But down the line, I want to do videos, I want to do documentaries, I want to do more shows, and all of this stuff takes a lot of time. So that's why I really appreciate the people who do support on Patreon, because you're helping towards that 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 goal. And at the end of the day, I'm sure if you listen to the, especially if you've listened all the way through to the end, you probably quite like the stuff that I'm doing with this, so you, you probably want to see more too, so it benefits everybody in the end. But anyway, another thing I've been working on quite a bit is... um. Uh, foyer requests in the uk now some people might have seen me post this on twitter a while ago i've had some really interesting bits and pieces come back it's been actually a lot better than i expected Uh, i was expecting just to get copy and paste responses saying we don't have anything on it and we don't look into ufos forget about it but actually there's been some quite interesting stuff come back and one of the things that i've actually inquired about came back with quite a few documents i'm not going to talk about it now because i'll probably you know, I need to look, I need to look at it all and calm through it a bit more before I actually go into it. But I, I requested uh, some some uh, information about um, a particular case that happened in the seventies, and I've got some documents back from that, which was really interesting to get. And I also got uh, uh, some some response from a request to the Hydrographic Office here in the UK, which is uh, an office that basically deals with. Uh, under the oceans monitoring under the oceans for things like collision risks for shipping routes and whatnot and they basically got back to me saying that they don't log anomalous contacts on their on their sensor systems so if they did their sensor systems determine that something is uh, a, you know marine life or an inanimate object like a shipwreck or a, a, a you know a rocky outcrop or something those they log because those are actually um you know a potential risk but the the other things they don't log because they they it's just not in their categories of things that they're looking for but i'm planning on following that up and say some more pointed specific questions about have you ever logged anything going over 100 miles an hour underwater have you ever you know logged something that seems to hover in place and then shoot off you know certain things that like i might be able to actually appeal that particular request and there was another one as well that was really interesting that i i requested information about atip and orsap to the mod the ministry of defense here in the uk and i actually got a reply from them saying we need to weigh up whether or not revealing any information or confirming or denying any information pertaining to your request is in the national interest and we need longer to do that so they've requested an extra 20 days to look into my request 
which I thought was very interesting. Not reading too much into it because at the moment it could just be a standard response. I'm not that uh, you know experienced when it comes to FOIA requests here in the UK, so I don't know exactly how much that wording is is often used or whether it's you know specifically in this case. But I did think it was quite interesting that they didn't just instantly deny that they had anything relating to those terms. So what I'm hoping is we might get some kind of acknowledgement that there is a UK department who have liaised with ATIP or RSAP or maybe ATIP or RSAP may have requested data from a UK department and we might be able to learn something from that. So yeah, and that's only a portion of the requests that I've, that I've filed so far. So it'll be very interesting to see how that progresses as well. Uh, and, you know, there's always the possibility that the, the people who are handling that request have asked for more time because of the things that are going on in the States at the moment. And they're waiting to see how all of that plays out before they decide whether whether or not they're going to confirm or deny that they have anything related to my request. So that'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. But anyway, I've rambled on for way too long. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening to the show here. Um, It's been a lot of fun to put this together. Very exciting. It's been a bit hectic this week trying to get it all done, but we got there. And um, yeah, thanks very much for supporting the show and listening because it really means a lot. And uh, until next time, take it easy, stay curious, and I'll catch you in the next episode. UFO Podcast.